Hi, this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of CSA, the host of the CSA podcast show. And I've got another uh, fantastic guest today in my series of interviewing uh, cybersecurity leaders in the control system, ICS, OT, Industry 4.0 kind of space. And uh, this is somebody I've been looking forward to having on the show. Um, if you know him, Chris Sistrunk, who is currently the technical manager. He's focused on uh, OT cybersecurity. He's at Mandiant, now part of Google Cloud. We'll talk about how they recently became part of the, the Google family. But uh, if you don't know Chris, he is not only an expert in this space and, and uh, one that a lot of people rely on for good information and, and knowledge, but he's, he's also a, a father and a husband, and he's the co-founder or one of the co-founders of the Beer ISAC, which we'll probably touch on just in case people have never heard of that. He's a musician. He's a dad joke teller. He's a bourbon aficionado, and uh, he says aspiring BBQ pitmaster, but I've seen some photos and I've seen some of the stuff, the rig. I think he's pretty qualified in barbecue land, but uh, anyway, welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, thanks, Derek. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Well, Chris, as I always uh, sort of I have some standard jokes, you know, that uh, or shtick that superhero, you know, that modern cybersecurity folks are modern superheroes of a sort and superheroes always have a backstory. Uh, none of you so far have shared any sort of lightning or bats of chemicals as your creation story. But uh, you do come from somewhere. You know, where did you uh, where'd you grow up? Oh, I grew up in the hills and the hollows of North Louisiana, the swamps, uh, red clay and pine trees near West Monroe. Uh, if you've ever uh, watched the show Duck Dynasty, that's where I'm originally from. All right. Went to school there uh, in the area and then uh, went to Louisiana Tech, which is right down the road. So, so I, I'm always curious, where technology intersects with somebody's life, let alone cybersecurity and ICS, which we'll talk about as a youngster. Any any intersection of technology? I mean, what what um, did you, think you were going to yeah. do? You were in high school. A what was the plan? Absolutely. So we didn't have a hacker community really, but my dad, uh, my dad's name is John, and he uh, worked for the power company. He still actually works for Entergy still as a contractor. So he's been working on like 400 years. Um, no, I'm just kidding. It's almost it's getting close to 50, I think, if you count his service and his retirement and coming back as a contractor. But uh, yeah. anyway, he uh, was in the substation relaying department the entire time, still is. And uh, he always had some kind of technology. And then I remember he brought at home one of those portable uh, computers. I forget which model it was. One was uh, like a giant briefcase with a the luggable. Yeah, the whoppy drives in there. Yeah. And, and then he uh, got us our first computer was a P IBM PC clone in eighty eighty eight. So I learned like playing games in BASIC, and they're a little. Molly ASCII characters on the screen and stuff like that. So I got exposed to computers as an at an early age. Fast forward a little bit, didn't get into anything around cybersecurity at the time. Although we had bulletin board systems and Prodigy, remember Prodigy and yeah, AOL? Yeah. yeah, that was the yeah. first time, as far as I know, the only time I've ever been hacked or uh, taken advantage of. Someone popped in as a administrator in the pop-up on Prodigy asked me for my username and password. They said they were admin and I was, uh, was in the mid nineties. So I, I didn't know anything about it. I was like, okay, next month our phone bill. Cause, uh, the dial up uh, Prodigy, we pay through our phone bill. Yeah. So our, next month, our phone bill was several hundred dollars and we're like, Oh, that guy was not truthful. So yeah, we, we've, because you had to pay per minute to get on. Uh, so in the time before cybersecurity courses, that's the, you took a course, right? a mini course right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I was always curious. Uh, I, I'm an engineer. I was uh, curious as a kid, uh, tinkering. My brother yeah. and I, my cousins, we would take things apart to learn about them and build. And so I, I was wanted to be like my dad, I wanted to be like him because uh, he was in working for the power company, doing electrical stuff, doing soldering and things like that. So I wanted to be like that. And so I got into doing engineering. I, I, maybe I was the only one of the my kids in my age, my brother and my cousins uh, that put stuff back together successfully 
after taking it apart. So I uh, had an engineering mindset. Uh, how do things work? And that's how I got into, you know, the buds of blooming into an engineer uh, later in my career. So what did you go, yeah, what'd you do after high school? What'd you go study then? In high school? Well, or no post. Yeah. I mean, once you graduated, what was your plan? What'd you do? Oh, yeah. So I knew in high school I wanted to be an electrical engineer. So I applied to uh, colleges around like uh, Louisiana Tech, of course, because they were close and they were had engineering school, LSU, Mississippi State, Texas A&M. I got accepted to them all, but uh, Louisiana Tech gave me a full scholarship. So awesome. That was a no brainer. Ended up going there in electrical engineering. And uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I graduated uh, thank the Lottie instead of, uh, you know, cum Lottie or uh, cum Lottie. Yeah, I graduated thank the Lottie. Yeah, yeah. I think of so many different threads that, we, you know, that I should pull with you. I mean, I'm curious what socks you're wearing right now. Are they interesting or boring? No, they are, because it's hot. It's like 80 degrees today. <laughs> and so I'm wearing those uh, nice uh, moisture wicking socks right now. I so almost I got, went and, and dug up. I don't have very many, but, you know, when I really think of a highly patterned sock, I think of you. And I almost went and tried to find some so I could prove I had them on right now, but it's hot here. <laughs> yeah, they have multicolors on them. They're they're fancy, I would say, but they're still moisture wicking. Because it's, it's going to be, I mean, it's February and it's 80 degrees. Yeah. yeah. Most of your listeners are probably cold and if they're in North America somewhere, they're probably a lot colder than we are. I mean, who knows when they're listening to this thing, but yeah, anybody listens to it when it first comes out, there's still probably some pretty cold, some pretty cold folks. We won't, we won't rub it any further, but if they don't know you, you, I don't know how, how big your sock collection is, but I know you, you, I, I, the first time I met you and then other times you always had crazy socks on. And that was a very interesting branding. Cause I mean, that's like, if I go back 10 years ago, probably at Sans ICS when I first met you, that was the first impression. Yeah, no, I, it's like, I, I need to be different. I don't march to anyone else's drum but mine. So I'm just like, hey, let's just, you know. Uh, yeah. That's, that was just the kind of thing that I, I, uh, I found that was kind of cool. So, yeah, I appreciate it. I still have the socks that you gave me several times. You gave me a couple of pairs, so. I resist the urge when I see, sometimes I see some and I think, oh, like, how many, how many pairs of socks does Chris need? Don't send him another. <laughs> oh, I, I do have holes in them, so I get rid of those. So you know. So what? After uh, Louisiana Tech University, you know, engineering degree, proper engineer, you went to work for for an energy company, right? Yeah, I went to work for Entergy, the same company where my dad worked. And unfortunately, I could get and work in the same group or in the same office, even though I couldn't work with my dad. Yeah. Uh, they didn't have well, my my friend who graduated the quarter before me took the last engineering opening there, so I applied all over, and didn't hear back. I went to power plants, went to you know different uh, to the headquarters in New Orleans, and all of a sudden I get a call in the middle of the summer after I'd already graduated. I was working as an intern, engineering intern in North Louisiana, substation group at the time so i was just working there until i found out that i was going to get a job somewhere and then uh, my first job was in distribution in beaumont texas covering southeast texas uh, uh designing um, you know distribution lines to businesses and homes and doing special projects with uh some early automation where we were doing some uh, you know reclosers and stuff like that on distribution lines stuff like that so do you recall, you know, obviously there's your, you, you jump right into control systems, SCADA systems specifically early on. So your mm -hmm. career path coincides with control systems almost. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I took a motor controls class in college and I had no idea that I would be in this at all. It's like I fell backwards into it. But, you know, we learned on the Allen Bradley Slick 100 trainer kits back in the day. I was like, hmm. Didn't think anything else of it. Well, you know, I was doing uh, distribution. Most of my work was just doing standard calculations, uh, cable pools, doing and working with the engineering as assistants uh, on, you know, designing like power to feed a Walmart or whatever. But then uh, after about two years, 
I started working in a little bit with the automation a little bit, and then they moved me and moved me into the transmission and distribution SCADA department, SCADA system support, and that was in 2005. I graduated 2002 and started my job then, and then in 2005, in the, uh, I think it was in the summer. I've got it written down somewhere. But uh, right before Hurricane Katrina and Rita hit, I was learning SCADA database and then really got to learn SCADA the hard way when your database is full because everything is out. So that, that was your a... Threat, your threat adversary is named Wilma or... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, even in distribution, I, I learned that uh, the main adversary was squirrels and hurricanes yeah. and where we live and along the Gulf Coast. and. I, I worked lots of hurricanes. I think it was like 12 or 13 uh, at the power company then when I worked there. So it actually kind of teaches you about instant response and disaster recovery. So that kind of really pre prepared me for what I'm doing now. Uh, but, for sure. I was just thinking of a thousand little, you know, connection points there. You know, there's always these questions. And, and, and now uh, at CSA, in the role that I'm in, this is a question that's coming all the time. Where do we find people or people saying, where do, how do I become? And it's always the perennial question. Are people, do they, are they engineers that learn some cyber? Are they some cyber people that learn some engineering? You know, and, and I've heard it all and I think I know where the waiting is. And I think I know where hiring managers would prefer people's backgrounds if they had their druthers would be from. The truth, probably the real truth is, God, we're short so many people. We probably need them from wherever we can get them. But the hiring manager preponderance of evidence is, your kind of background, really understanding resilience and reliability and these fundamental things around risk, you know, hurricanes, and then adding cyber later, which will, you know, obviously I'm going to ask you where that comes in. I'm curious, sort of curious. I, I, it doesn't surprise me that that makes for the most, potentially the most well-rounded person in an operating technology environment is to fundamentally understand the environment and then add, add cyber later. It, what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, that, I mean, that's just my experience. Uh, I work with people like me. I work with people that come in from all directions. Basically, they the ones I work with are persistent in their learning and passionate about helping protect even against the everyday squirrel or honest mistakes, you know, because that's what we really see out there, not uh, APT whatever, not necessarily worried about those but again that's if you're interested in working with control systems and control system security it's a great field and i think you can find your own way learning from those around you who have done different things uh, i'll be glad to talk to anybody if you're interested uh, in it and message me on twitter or linkedin or whatnot but i mean it takes all people and often it's just like listening to problems, listening to where the issues are. I would take a box of donuts down to the operators. They say, oh, this new NERC sit, blah, 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 you know. <laughs> and you'd say, oh, oh, really? Tell me about like, and then you have to put your heads together and think, okay, what? Well, how can we solve this problem without creating more hoops to get the operators to jump through? Uh, let's make it simple and uh, things like that. I think you're, you know, everyone in these conversations, there are these gold nuggets. And I think you're just unearthing one of yours. You said casually without almost bypass, you know, I took a box of donuts and I went down and it's about trust building and communications and relationship building. And clearly some people are skipping that step and there's frustration even in the same corporation. We work for the same employer, but we're frustrated or even distrust still in some organizations. So talk maybe a little, unpack that a little bit more. You, you talked about obviously bringing an olive branch with you. Nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. That old school and it works still, right? Doing something nice for someone. And then you talked about understanding their work and understanding that complicated equals bad, you know, and so trans, sort of translation and making it workable. That I think might be important for us to dwell on a little bit because that's still a stumbling block for a lot of people. One of the biggest lessons I learned at working at the power company, it was, and I didn't really see it then until a few years later, but they, when I first got there, they wanted me to learn as much as I could. And so I got to spend two weeks 
with a distribution line crew. And I actually helped, even though it was a, I couldn't help them with the work, but I could sit there and listen and watch as I rode around with the company, uh, you know, because I'm not trained to be a lineman, right? But, I, you know, I, watching them install a three-pot bank to behind a big business and watching their daily work, watching where they go eat lunch and go and eat lunch with them and doing the same thing with the service crew when they're pulling meters or uh, putting up new service drops to a house or telling me about this lady, her dog is so evil because it's a chihuahua, you know, and they have to be careful about the chihuahua. Uh, or uh, I got to ride around with the substation crew, uh, got to ride around with a, a substation maintenance crew where they're, you know, getting their arms oily, getting in old circuit breakers, things like that, um, taking oil samples. And riding around with each different part of the company for a couple of weeks uh, uh, because I didn't have anything else to do as a new engineer. They said, you need to go learn about the parts of the company. Learning that, respecting that, because a lot of times you might hear engineers might get a bad reputation saying, oh, this doesn't look good. It's all, it does, this isn't how it works. It's not. You know, what you drew on paper is not how it works in the real world. Yeah. I, now I see, and, you know, several years later, now I see, when you walk and talk with the people that do the work and not draw it on paper, you understand why engineers, uh, they think they know better. Well, there's a reason why that they do the things that they do in the field. So we have to understand that as engineers and go, oh, let's take, uh, a listen to uh, what the field needs and what the field issues are, listening to the problems like the NERC SIP, blah, 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 blah logging into whatever. Uh, you have to do a 10-step login to just to sit at the same desk for 24 hours, you know. It's one of those things where listening to the problems helps you build that rapport, build that trust, and then you come back and maybe you can find the solution together that works for everybody. Another parallel is like, I was watching a car video and someone was complaining about the new design of like oil pumps. Like you have to pull the engine to get to the oil pan instead of just simply mounting it on the bottom of the car like everywhere else. And you can listen to mechanics and like they, these stupid design it with a, a mechanic in mind, you know? So, Fast forward to what I do now in cybersecurity. I try to think the same way. Yeah. Because um, it's not me going to have to live with it. It's the people that own it and operate it have to live with it. Yeah, that that is huge. I think that that's beyond empathy. I mean, it is certainly empathy for their what they have to deal with, but it's even more fundamental of that. It's really understanding the steps and the process and and what they've got to accomplish and what their goals are, and that's key, right? I think cybersecurity for cybersecurity's sake doesn't work. Cybersecurity has applied to real working environment that needs to make money or produce their product or both, whatever mm-hmm. application it is. Um, so did cybersecurity come up at Entergy? You were there over 13 years. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so like at the beginning of uh, the FERC orders and yeah. stuff like that, 2005, 2006, I started because, you know, the 2003 blackout happened. And there was a bit of the cyber piece of it. They had the, the slammer worm or whatever yep. at one of the sites or whatever it was. I'm, my brain's not in perfect memory. I, I don't remember exactly what, what it was. But and then the FERC order so happened. Is exposure and you're seeing it? Or do you somehow, do you become tasked? Do you start working on cybersecurity somewhere in that? Yeah, I'll, I'll get to there. Okay. Uh, so so I, I started, you know, we have to, you know, put better passwords on, you know, our RTUs and things like that and other things like that. But then 2007 came around with the Aurora at INL and they said, crap, we've got to go yank all of our remote access to all of our substation control houses to, to prevent the latter, you know, to prevent the relay settings changes that would allow that. So we had to go, go do all that as a company and deal with that because of Aurora. So that was 2007. I was working on the 
at that time they had moved me in from doing instead of the SCADA programming at the main office doing for you know, the whole database configuring the SCADA client. Some people the old word was SCADA master station. And they made me go to the field and that's when they moved me to Mississippi from Texas. And I started doing substation RTU and communication processor programming. So we had to learn about how to do that. I got a lab. Actually, it was uh, two relay racks in my cubicle. That was my lab to start with. Lab life. Yeah, yeah. And then we moved to another building. I was like, hey, we need more of this equipment to be able to support all the configurations out there in the field. So we cobbled together. You know, about six or seven more racks uh, when they moved us to a different building, and then and then they built us a brand new headquarters, and then they built in five labs on the first floor. Like from the get go, they go, "Yep, we see the value that you've done with the the lab, so we we need bigger lab space." And uh, that's when Stuxnet happened uh, when we when it was discovered in 2010, and that was really the defining moment in my career where I went from being an engineer to being more excited and curious about cybersecurity for control systems. We called it SCADA security back then, right? It wasn't a OT or ICS back then. It was just the general term was SCADA security. That's like S4 SCADA security scientific symposium or whatever. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's uh, about when my career Really change focus. Yeah. So, so do you remember approximately what what that area is. I think these career paths are so interesting. Is yours is heavy on the engineering and all the the integral systems to power and energy, and then security sort of leaks its way in, and then it sort of takes over. Yeah, I got sucked backwards into it. I'll, yeah. I didn't, I didn't have a choice. Uh, my yeah. brain was. I remember when Stuxnet. I, I was reading all the articles and reading uh, all the reporting from. You know, Kim Zetter uh, yeah. about it and us in the background on Twitter talking about it and learning about it. And then and then they had, the, you know, the, the NERC uh, grid set con came around to New Orleans. And I remember Dylan Beresford came and did a talk about uh, Dooku and Flame, you know, the continuation kind of of that stuff. And it just kept getting more fascinating it's like i couldn't ignore it it was like scary but yet very very sexy at the same time and you're going as an engineer what would be stuxnet if it happened to my system that i'm in charge of yeah right so let's talk about the steps that happened there because i think there's people wondering did you say i see opportunity and move yourself into that area or did you just get pulled into it? Did, you know, were you purposeful by design or was it just, it just happened? Because I think there's lots of people wondering how much proaction, I mean, do I take control and sort of work with my boss, work, you know, and work my way and try to get over into this area more? How do I maneuver my way into this space? And obviously for some people, it just happened. Others, they, they got themselves over into it. What was the segue from you from? I kind of, uh, I kind of just took that on as a, one of my responsibilities for. Yeah. Like, I'll take that too? No, I just took the initiative and said, we need to be considering security and how we do substation configurations and, you know, relay configurations, automation, substation automation devices, distribution automation devices. At that moment, Chris, did you basically just volunteer for that? Say, hey, we should be I doing didn't, I didn't actually volunteer. I just started doing it without oh. any without permission. It's like, hey, okay. we're going to do this. Got it. So in my department at Entergy, my boss, uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, how did I take the initiative? Well, we had uh, uh, a group that was had engineers that were in charge of each part of the company as far as technology and responsibility. So we had somebody that was expert in transmission lines, uh, transformers, breakers, substation automation that was me with RTs and SCADA and digital fault recording and so we had like the engineering avengers uh, that we had the experts of all the company and basically we all did what we had to do and our boss didn't have to tell us what to do we just did what we had to do 
And if we came to our boss and said, hey, we need to do this and whatever, he supported us no matter what. Because you have to get things done in that case, right? And so he trusted uh, me and trusted our group to do what we thought was best. We had some, you know, company initiatives to reduce, you know, costs and reduce outages and things like that. But I saw uh, the handwriting on the wall about NERC SIP. I was like, we've got to get ahead in NERC SIP. And so we've got to think like an attacker. That's kind of like what Mike Asante did with with uh, the Aurora attack. So I said, we've got to think of what Stuxnet would be. Or me, I'm thinking to myself, what would be the Stuxnet for my power company, for what I'm in charge of? So I really went to town, really started hammering, really started learning. And in 2011, I took the INL Red versus Boo class, which is free. Got permission to go. Only thing thing that company had to pay for was to travel, and that was pretty awesome. Uh, I was learning about Linux then. I had to learn how to do a bootable. Back then it was called Backtrack, and now it's called Kali. You know the pen testing uh, tool that so many uh, use and familiar with. So I had to learn how to be an attacker, uh, and also to break our systems to make them better. So I tried to do that the best way I could, but also going back to talking to operators, like we don't need something that's super complicated. We need things that are simple. So let's break it, make it better, make it simple, but also try to make it as, as secure as we can with the parameters we're given. So you you did 13 years of energy, and then you know we'll talk about obviously going to to, to Mandium, but in in during those times. And, uh, and and still today, a lot of other things, I think it's worth pointing out, you know, president of Mississippi InfraGuard, a writer for Liquid Matrix Security Digest, engineering industry advisory board member at Louisiana Tech, co-founder of Fear ISAC, fellow, she say fellow, a founding fellow, one of the very, very first group of yeah. fellows. Talk about all of those sorts of things. Because people ask, you know, what, what, what role, I guess you say, what role have, have those activities taken in your life uh, and your career path? People are always wondering so how to, how to plug in, especially people earlier in their career path, how to plug in, these kinds of things are huge, right? I mean, and every and the community benefits. I mean, it's also really good for the community that people were willing to do those kinds of things, but it's not it's not also without benefit for the individual who's trying to build a career path in this space. Right, so what got me into those things, I, like, I, for instance, I'm a senior member of IEEE, and I knew I wanted to get that step because it would elevate my uh, credibility. Uh, I got my PE license uh, early on because I knew, even though at Entergy I didn't have to stamp drawings and do things like that, but I knew I might need it later in my career if I needed to be an expert witness or something like that. So I've always kept my professional engineering license. And then I was like, you know, always trying to be a leader in some way because I feel I feel that in that as part of who I am. So I created like, hey, we can't always go to Black Hat and DEF CON. So I created Besides Jackson to kind of bring a little bit of that hacker and cybersecurity uh, experience to central Mississippi. And uh, I, I ran that conference by myself for six years. And then now it's turned over to the uh, IC Squared uh, group for Central Mississippi. So in going like liquid measures, that was a friend. They said, hey, we, we like you. We need you to write for us. And uh, that's, it, you know, they don't pay me or anything. It's, that's uh, Gattaca. That's uh, Dave, Dave Lewis. I don't know if you know him. He has a background in SCADA, so we kind of hit it off together. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that, just finding different things that I know I can make a difference in is uh, kind of well, why I did some of those other things. Uh, same way with uh, Louisiana Tech, I plugged back into the university I got two degrees from, and I want to give back in a way uh, to help the future because eventually it's not going to be me doing this stuff. I want to be retired and driving a tractor one day and uh, <laughs> someone else to do it. But uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that that makes sense, and it's uh, we all benefit from 
people doing what you've been doing, which is giving your energy to all those to all those things. And you know, I don't know how we do we as a as a community we accomplish what we're trying to do with there were a lot of people like you. And reach out and contact me. That's also very, very common to you know all the guests on this show for the most part and people in this industry who who are incredibly open to that. Yeah, reach out. And I think some people maybe hesitate to do that. Or, you know, I always would say one little caveat, be tactful, be, you know, be thoughtful about your communication. There are those communications that you're like, oh, this is a weird one. But at thoughtful, realistic, reasonable reach outs, they're got a high response rate from people in the industry who, who are leaders. Yeah, I, I, I try not to see myself as a, someone that's not approachable because someone's helped me in my get to where I am. And it's uh, if I can pass it on and pay it forward, that's that's the way I, I, I think, you know, I sleep better at night doing the right thing. Yeah. We'll talk about the Mandiant years. I mean, I, I, I shouldn't move on so quickly. I think that's huge and super, super important, the, you know, the, the lifting hand up, right? And I have the same attitude as you do, especially in entrepreneurship for all my career. People helped me and um, I'd be, yeah, I'd be responsible not to put a hand extend a hand downward and bring people up as people doing the same to bring me up so mm -hmm. i applaud you for that and thank you talk about mandy and where that comes along i mean you, you, you've had you know there's interesting all your careers on the guests you know some people are like four years here four years here four years here four years here Other people, <laughs> i've got two you got two big ones yeah i've got two jobs uh entergy and mania so the transition in between the two that was 10 years ago a friend of mine that I had known from SCADA uh, programming, his name was uh, Adam Crane. And you you may know Adam. And so he, he was, and I were both on the DMP3 technical committee, uh, which is a very boring committee that where you uh, have a committee that talks about bits and bytes for a protocol that's used in the power camp or power industry and some water. But I felt that since uh, we used MP3 at my company, at the power company, that I should learn as much as I could about it. And then one day in 2013, uh, Adam posted an email. I said, hey, I, I wrote this fuzzer. And I knew what a fuzzer was because I had uh, some exposure to that in some of my cybersecurity learnings. I learned about what it does. And the uh, the evil... Not well. Put on our evil hard hat. I like to say that. Uh, I put on my evil hard hat. I said, "Hmm, let me get this fuzzer. See what it is." And he bought it to test. I mean, he made. Sorry, he didn't buy it. Uh, Adam is one of the best software programmers I've ever seen. He wrote this program and to test his own DMP3 stack, which was at the time was Open DMP3. So I downloaded that and started testing against some of the things that I had access to. And they fell over. And I go, whoa, this is an engineering issue uh, because this is not even a security issue. I mean, it is a security issue, but it was also an engineering issue. It's like, because I had done factor acceptance tests, I'd done tw you know, two or three of them with testing SCADA or RTU firmware SCADA control system, uh, software and firmware for all types of equipment. And I go, well, we do positive testing. Okay, send this command. Okay, did it send? Yes. Did it do the command that we sent? Yes. And so, so much of that time and focus for engineering at the time was only focused on positive testing, but no one had ever done negative testing, like what fuzzing does. It's like, do you send, hey, I'm going to send you fights. Nope, I lied. I'm sending a thousand. Right. And then those kind of things uh, that we did. So I, everything I tested was failing. Uh, it would either hang up or reboot or go crazy for a minute. And so thankfully my boss was at the time, again, he always had my back and I didn't ask for permission. I should have, as an engineer, uh, I should have asked for, for permission first, but I had Adam come to my lab and we tested everything and everything we tested broke or was broken. And eventually I had to get you know, permission. I, I explained what was happening 
I said, these are all, I was scared to death. I was staying up late, you know, uh, because uh, I couldn't sleep because uh, we could have found vulnerabilities that could be used by an adversary like a nation state or whatever. And we didn't know if, so I felt at the time that it was important to get these things fixed. So I had calls with all the way up to the chief information security officer, chief information officer, and they agreed that I was handling it correctly, working with ICSR doing responsible disclosure and making sure things get fixed. And uh, even had some uh, companies trying to say cease and desist. I'm like, no, these are valid things that we're doing here. We're not trying to hurt your company. We're trying to help them because what happens is, is these bugs, if they live on, they're going to be discovered and someone's going to write an exploit for them down the road, or they could. So eventually, I said all of that because that, that was our project Robust. That's what we call it. Robust is Latin for uh, strong or bulwark, uh, Latin for strong. So our project Robust was to test Modbus, MP3, and other protocols to see how they responded to negative testing. And uh, we found over 30 CVEs. There's so much stuff that had not been tested. Ended up creating a Hydra with a NERC, uh, EISAC, uh, of what we found. And we gave a talk at S4 about it. And we had one of the keynotes that year, even though it was a small, it didn't feel like a keynote because it was a small room at that time, the S4 yeah. was. But one of the folks that where we broke stuff, it was uh, uh, Dan Scally. He was at uh, GE at the time, and we broke some of his stuff that he was in charge of. And he had come over to Mandiant, uh, was the first start of the ICS security team. And he asked Adam and I if we wanted jobs. And uh, Adam chose to stay with himself, but uh, I came on board. Uh, to Manny uh, in uh, 2014. I was talked to in December 2013, so later in 2013 after Project Robust happened. But at that time, FireEye had just bought Manny, and so the, the paperwork and all that stuff, that didn't happen. So I didn't actually start until February in 2014 for Manny. So that was because of that project that I did with Adam. That's what helped get me to the next level going to working for a company like Mandiant. Yeah, that's that's an interesting uh I mean you you're in deep in the vital organs of how of all how all that operating technology works or doesn't in the case of some of your discovery. <laughs> yeah, we actually found things that erase configurations on the Schweitzer uh RTAC. We sent an unsolicited DMP3 message and worked over serial too. It would ca cause the thing to Go to 100% CPU, 100% memory, it will reboot, and then the config is gone. And I'm not a programmer or a vulnerability, like, I can't write exploits. Well, I was like, this is bad. So we work with Switzer and all these other companies, and they turn around pretty quickly and fix them before they even got out in the real world. This is like a beta version of the firmware or whatever. Yeah. So that was something that was really proud of i stayed up over 24 hours writing our official report i was scared to death i sent it to i i see a cert over an encrypted email and uh let all of the actually sent all of the emails to the companies first then waited an, a day and then sent the email with the uh, report to i see a cert and I was scared to death. I don't. I was so scared of I was going to be either in trouble or someone was going to find out about this research and use it against for, as for bad. So, but thankfully yeah, nothing happened. Historically, that's a tough spot. I hope part of it's getting better. You, you obviously still don't want a, a bad actor to get it, but hopefully the I can also have a lot of people angry at me. Hopefully that's getting less with responsible disclosure. It's like this is a necessary part of the ecosystem. But you were during a time period when there was resistance and anger. Oh, somewhere. yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was just right after they had the uh, Project Basecamp uh, S4. And I know there was a lot of uh, angry opinions against it that Dale had. 
but I saw the good in it. I, I didn't necessarily agree with the, you know, I, I like the coordinated responsible disclosure myself, but uh, I, I had to also learned about how to talk to the press at that time. I had to walk a fine line as an engineer. Normally engineers don't talk or are not allowed to talk to the companies. Right to the press, uh, to newspapers like New York Times and Wired. So I had to stress and I worked where I found some through Dale Peterson. He hooked us up with uh, some really good reporters like Kim Zetter and Nicole Perlroth that uh, really honored the reasoning behind our research, which was not to gain fame, which is to actually find a problem and, and fix it. Yeah. And not, you know, we tried to do it that way. And, and where we are now as an industry, how is the resistance much? I know it's lower. But where were oh, you? Yeah, no. And now they have things like Pwn to Own where you get paid to do it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You get, uh, all those sorts of things. Yeah. And so I think yeah. people, but I've had to talk, I had to talk to a CEO of one, uh, uh, one uh, particular device that he was mad. It's like, why did you? I'm like, look. You bought this software that you didn't even write, and it had bugs in it. It's not your fault. Supply chain. <laughs> it's a supply chain issue, and I'm yeah. like, I'm trying to show you that, like, it's like building Lego bricks. If I touch this part, the whole thing falls down. Did you know the yellow one is made of jello? Yeah, right. And so I finally, after a, a, you know an hour conversation, they ended up thanking me. For explaining it to them, I, I try not to be hot-headed at all. It's like, hey, look, this is uh, something that needs to be fixed. And as a company, you should know that we had some that stopped making the product completely, and had some that completely ignored the calls and emails and whatnot. And so, but I think um, over time, I think now people see why it's so important. Uh, yeah. to have good engineering uh, and security processes for code review because the more code you have, the more chance there is for bugs to happen. And anyway, that's, I have a lot of ideas about that, but there's also simple things too. Going back to that, you know, let's not make things difficult for the operator. The operator can't determine if they have a Windows XP HMI or not. Right. And so I've had to go to sites where working for Mandiant, where we had to go to a site that still had very vulnerable, very old things that they had to keep running and they had to protect. So we throw all that idea of patch and upgrade out the window for now and find a solution that works for them that is also secure. And so that was exciting to me to be able to do that and to help people. Do the best they can with what they have. Because I've and been there I with hear, no budget. Yeah. I hear a theme here in everything that you've said, and none of this is totally surprising to me, having some sense of sort of who you who you are, but I hear thoughtful, careful communication. So, you know, at the heart of this, those are, you know, it, there's not bull in the china shop. There's not, I'm gonna be the loudest voice in this room. You've been able to be impactful, deeply impactful in the industry because of those foundational elements. And those are some hard for some people to master, but but that's yeah. some of your secret to success, I would think. I appreciate that, Derek. Uh, no, I, I feel like that's that's just who I am as a person. And look, I'm not going to wave my hand. If I need to wave my hands about something like with the DMP3 thing. That but was even that's an escalation, right? I did just wave it down here and it maybe didn't get the reaction it deserves. So, you know, I will carefully, you know. I do it the right way. Yeah, I'm not going to throw a grenade where, you know, oh. in the place. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, yeah, and that's just yeah. who I am. Now, I know other people have gotten different results doing different things, but that's just who I am. I, I have think to that's very myself. word of the wise. There are some very smart contributors in our space, but they've blown some bridges up. It it decreases their what they could do for society. It doesn't make them not smart. Doesn't make them not right about some of the things yeah. maybe, but it blows up some of their usefulness when they when they detonate. And that sort of that concept of like building empathy and understanding the other side. I'm a huge fan of that. I mean, 
I think that's the way forward there, you know, and that even inside the same company, this discord between departments, like, well, that is not the way forward. That is not the way, you know, the Mandalorian would say, you know, <laughs> this, not is the not, way. <laughs> this is the way, this is the way. Yeah, no, it's like, yeah, it, but it all comes down to building trust, building respect, and working together to solve somewhat difficult uh, engineering problems. It's not really an engineering problem. It's really more of a budget problem. Yeah. yeah. You know, or a people, uh, a lack of people. Like yeah. one, you know, a, a water and wastewater place may only have one person that wearing five different hats. Think about like what I mean. Not even cybersecurity related. It's like something that's local here. Jackson, the water system failure. Not one person can fix it. It takes it takes a whole team, a whole army of people, and a whole lot of money on top of that to fix some of those problems. And, and you know, so you have to approach each issue as the best you can, and work with your customers, work with your colleagues. Uh, I'll work with just about anybody. I think I got that from my dad. Uh, no, that's he, a good. It served you well, I think. What's uh? With the time we've got left, uh, as we wrap up here, I wanted you to talk a little bit about Mandy at FireEye, Google, you know, FireEye, not FireEye. Uh, so, you know, just sort of synthesize that, and now you're you're a Google company. I mean, I, I don't think you you know, would have predicted that long long ago. I had no idea. I've always dreamed of uh, becoming uh, working for a company like Google. I just got uh, included in with Mandy, and so it's 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 great so far. As, as far as I know, I'm still on paternity leave. I actually start back on the end of this week. Uh, so I'll get to learn the, the culture more than just getting my Noogler hat with the propeller on it, you know. <laughs> so. And Mandy, uh, you, you and I talked about this. Mandy has got, obviously, you know, real brand recognition. Um, mm -hmm. That's going to stay, you know, the brand of Mandy will stay present, but it's a Absolutely. Google Cloud company. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, that's super. And when did that take effect for the people who might not no, know? November 1st is when we all moved. But I think the, the close of the purchase was, I think, in September. Something so like Fire that. So FireEye bought Mandiant, but then FireEye sold Mandiant to Google? Is that what happened? No, 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 no. no. Um, so Get back out of your own again? Yeah, yeah. To make it short, uh, FireEye bought Mandiant. Then uh, some things happened and then ended up being... FireEye renamed itself to Mandiant and sold off the FireEye products. Okay. And then they merged with another company and and renamed themselves Trellix. Okay. Yeah, that's hard to keep track of. Even I thought I was on top of that. <laughs> I wasn't. Need so. a diagram. Need a whiteboard. That's okay. We we work with them all. Like Mandiant, we're we're known for working with whatever technology a customer has. Doesn't matter. We work with anybody. If they've got a pulse and they have a security issue, you're glad to talk to them. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, this Chris, isn't a sales uh, pitch, though. I, I don't want to be a salesman. So. Uh, you, you, I don't think you have to worry about that. I mean, there are people who I have to worry about that sometimes with our neutral nonprofit status, but not not, not you. Um, well, I think uh, thank you for your time. I think we've come to the part of the show that I always enjoy, which is ending with what's called the Pivot Questionnaire. It was a, on a French show. And then. James Lipton, the longtime host who has now passed on the show of the host of the Inside the Actors Studio, borrowed that same show. And he ended his show for decades asking all the famous actors and actresses the same 10 questions. And so now, you know, a couple of years ago, I started this process. I decided to sort of tip my hat to that show and to him and do the same 10 questions if you're up for it. Sure. Okay. What is your favorite word? My favorite word. Ooh. Good. I don't what know. Is your, good. What is your least favorite word? Oh boy. Compliance. <laughs> what turns you on, either creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? What turns me on? Passionate people. What turns you off? People who are being disingenuous to try to get up on top of other, you know, then we see a lot of that. More in, more so in politics, maybe. <laughs>
William, what is your favorite curse word? Dead gummit. What sound or noise do you love? Oh, the sound of my kids. What sound or noise do you hate? Well, the sound of a 60 hertz transformer about to explode. You know, you know that sound if you've been in a substation. Electrical what, arc. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Ooh, if I wasn't uh, an engineer, uh, I'd be a full-time musician, but uh, that's a poor choice. So if I wasn't a full-time musician, I'd be an archaeologist. What profession would you not like to do? Food service. I love them, but uh, I can't do that anymore. I did that once. And if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Dead gummit. Oh, I'm just wrapping up with Chris Distrunk. Chris is uh, the technical manager for all things ICS and OT and cybersecurity. He is at Mandiant, now part of the Google Cloud, a Google company. So a long, uh, interesting story starting in control systems and ending in cybersecurity for the same. And a longtime contributor to this space and a CSA fellow and a CSA speaker. And thank you for all your contributions to I mean, not only our community and not only, you know, my organization, but but our society in general. We we uh, we are we rely on on folks like you. So thank you. Oh, thanks, Derek, for not just what you do at CSA, but all the stuff you've done uh, as well. I appreciate that. I always enjoy seeing you at conferences when we get a chance to. So but I didn't get to go to S4 or see you earlier this year. So good to see you right now. Absolutely. And I've got the next S4 on my calendar. It was great. It was uh, the best yet. I mean, I mean yeah, I suppose you can measure them in different ways, but uh, you know, sure number of people there and all the things that were going on. It was, it was exciting. And you had a great reason not to be there with a new child, but uh, <laughs> yeah, two, 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 uh, two kids under two years old. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough, yeah. tough one, but uh, yeah. But we'll be online, and uh, I, I'll be around. So, All hey, right. if, if anybody listening to this and needs to get in touch with me, I'll be glad to. Or if you just want to share memes or dad jokes or barbecue recipes or your favorite bourbon, find me on uh, the Twitter and Mastodon, Chris Sistrunk, or on LinkedIn. Sounds good. Thanks, Chris. Take care. Be well. Thank you, Derek. Bye-bye.